Okay, sounds like there's a lot of adventures, a few missions happening. Um, I want to just kind of fill you in on a couple of things that we've done as part of Missions Month, so just to kind of refresh your memory, uh, rolling back at the start of the month, we kind of just tried to discern, you know, really what God was sort of telling us and, and their call that he has on every Christian's life to kind of look beyond themselves and to share his grace and truth. And then we also participated in the International Day of Prayer and just kind of cast that horizon a little bit broader and looked at um, the challenges that many Christians face around the world and particularly countries that we see on the news headlines and just kind of the tough stuff that they have to deal with. And I thought that was quite cool just to be able to, yeah, extend our horizons a little bit. Last week we had the privilege of having Chris Ears uh, come and share with us, a guy from Pioneers New Zealand uh, Missions Agency, and just kind of, again, talking about what they do and, what, and how they support various people around the world, but also what we can do too, and a little old Alexandra to kind of see God's message and his mission go beyond. Well, this morning I am really excited uh, because we're having another guest with us this morning, Robert Mitchell uh, and, and his lovely family. So that's a picture of them. Um, we're going to put uh, a picture up. Um, this is actually what they look like. I mean, that last one was a bit squashed, but this is them. And um, yeah, I'm just really, really excited to have Robert come and share with us. So we're going to find out a little bit about him. Um, he can come on up now, Robert, and you guys can welcome him as he comes to the stage. All right, come grab a seat here, Robert. You're plugged in and ready to rock. Yep, sounds good to me. Sounds like it's going, so that's the main yep. thing. Cool, so Robert's been here a couple of times before. You may cast your mind back to 20 pre, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, Who even yep. knows yep. what happened before then in the world? Um, but anyway, you're here with us today and really, really excited about that. So tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. Um, you've got a, a lovely family and you've got a bit of a you know, background history yourself. So just kind of fill yep. in the, the blanks for us. Uh, yeah, so my wife's name's Aisha, so she uh, grew up in Kyrgyzstan, she's a fourth generation mission kid, um, and she came back to New Zealand to study at Otago University and did a psychology degree, and that's where we met. Um, I grew up in Omaru, um, not from a Christian family really at all, came to faith when I was about 16, uh, didn't have a church, and so at the end of high school I thought, I want to know more about God. So I went to university and studied theology. So I did a double major in uh, biblical studies and kind of Christian history and doctrine. Was that, uh, was that, uh, what did your family think about that? Uh, mum, so mum's a believer. Um, she was surprised, but uh, encouraged. She had a lot of questions about kind of what, what comes next when you study something like that. Um, dad, not so happy about it, so yeah. Okay. So you got through university, you met Aisha, yep. what happened next? Um, so as soon as we graduated, um, so while we were at university we were involved with a mission group called Student Life, so we learned to share our faith and uh, disciple uh, students. And so as soon as we graduated we got on a plane and went straight to a place we call East Asia um, and we served there up until basically when COVID hit. Right, East Asia. Now, yes. it's obviously fairly nondescript. Yep. Probably for um, security reasons, you can't say we were doing this and we were doing that because it's one of those places that you're not really supposed to be sharing your faith, right? Yep, yes. So ministry there was completely illegal. Um, this is a picture yep. of East Asia. Yeah, so this is the city we're in. So we're in a city of about 13 million people. Um, there are about 1.2 million university students. 
and there are about, uh, at the kind of high point, about 15 of us uh, trying to share the gospel with 1.2 million people. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a mathematician, you all know that, but the ratio is crazy, uh, is right? It's huge, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, in our region, there's 96 million people, so there's one of me to every two million people. Yeah. And it's illegal, so talking about it, uh, you know, can get you in trouble. So everything was undercover, we had a code language, um, we weren't officially uh, missionaries, and we'd enter into a university and study there. Right. Yeah. So that was sort of your in. Yep. But obviously it was, I mean, it was kind of covert, like, you know, sort of spy-ish, mm, very know, covert, code language. Yeah. Can you tell us some of the codes or are we, uh, would you I have can, to kill us afterwards? I'll tell you some of the weirder ones. Um, so I don't know the history of how we got to some of the words, but our code word for going to church was going to the boat. And so okay. you would be the boat captain. Yeah, right. Um, All right. Yeah. Um, and uh, something bad was happening and you were kind of under duress and you couldn't... Uh, kind of say anything on the phone, yep. so you assumed everyone, you would listen to if you're on the phone. Um, the code for, I'm in a lot of trouble and I need help, as soon as it's available is, I can't meet with you, I have diarrhea. So you'd say that on the phone. Um, and that was a very normal thing, kind of culturally and just day-to-day -day life. Like someone on the team would always have diarrhea yep. uh, anyway. Yep. Um, so did yeah. that make it confusing? Are they, no. are they suffering <laughs> physically or are they actually just got some major problems? No, uh, if you actually had diarrhea, you'd say, I'm on the D train. Because oh. it oh. would be a couple of days journey. Okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, that, is some, that is some fascinating code language. Yeah. Okay, that's good. So, um, aside from the code language, uh, you were studying, but you were also working amongst university students. So, what was that like? What, like, how did you do what you were really there to do? Yeah, um, if you want to jump through, there's a picture of some soldier-looking people. Yes. Um, so, this is what university students in East Asia looked like for the first kind of portion of the year. Um, so they'd all do compulsory military training. Um, so, you know, I have videos of 10,000 young women learning to, you know, slit each other's throats and things. It's quite creepy and disturbing. Um, but every student dressed like this was a first-year university student. And so we would try and meet as many of them as we can. So during this part of the year, you'd have two hours in the day you could meet them. It would be lunch and dinner. Uh, and the goal was to meet 20 to 60 people in that hour per each person. So you'd walk up to the table, you're like, hi, I'm Rob from New Zealand, do you want to be my friend? Um, try to do that in New Zealand, it probably, you know, you won't get too far, but in a place like East Asia where you uh, stand out, um, you know, people really want to be your friend. So they'd be like, yes, I'd love to be your friend. You exchange numbers and then that would start uh, a relationship with them. And from there you would uh, journey with them, figure out who they were. So we'd have to meet with them 10 times um, just to figure out, uh, are you safe to talk to? Are you even spiritually open? Um, and once you'd kind of had those 10 appointments, we'd call them, um, you would bring up spiritual things. Um, and what was really interesting in East Asia is that because uh, of the history there, if you ask someone, do you think God is real? And they'd say, what is God? Or um, you'd ask someone, what do, you think of, what do you think of Jesus? And they'd say, what is Jesus? They didn't realize Jesus was a person. So religion, spirituality were completely removed um, from their society. So um, you couldn't get to the gospel very quickly because people had nothing 
um, to work with. So you ask them, who is God? Uh, I don't know what God is. And so you spend a couple of weeks talking about if there is a God, what would God kind of logically have to be like? What would make God different? Um, so, I mean, that's a huge challenge, right? But also yep. an opportunity because you can kind of start from yes, scratch. Yes, blank, blank slate. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. So challenges, encouragements in that? What was kind of your yep. sort of reflection? Yeah, uh, I think on a challenges level, obviously there's a, a cross-cultural challenge and a language barrier. Um, so I found that particularly frustrating because I've learned a lot of theology and a lot of you know biblical studies and things. So I just found myself frequently like, I can't explain to you um, what I know in my own head because I don't know enough of your language. And even if I do know your language, you don't know the words in your own language because it's been removed. Um, so challenges like that. Um, other probably challenges, I think, just the, the experience of going cross-cultural, being in a very isolated place, um, living undercover. Um, persecution was a very real uh, reality. Um, so my secondary uh, role when things are not going great is what we call a crisis manager. So um, I was the person that would take those phone calls of, hey, I have diarrhea, I can't meet with you. And then I'd have to respond um, and try and figure out what kind of level um, situation this person or group or um, the mission as a whole, mm. what kind of level of scrutiny we're under, yep. um, and from there uh, figure <laughs> out how to keep people alive, uh, how to get them out of the country. So a lot of challenges. Um, I think a lot of people romanticize mission uh, in these parts of the world. It's not fun a lot of the time. Mm. Um, a lot of the time it's very hard. Um, so that's the challenging side. Yeah, but um, was there some joys and yeah, some yeah. encouragements too? Yeah, um, you know, some of the students we met um, and, you know, stories we got to be a part of are just amazing. Um, yeah, so this photo here, uh, I think I've shared with some of you uh, before, but the guy in the black um, shirt, so he was the son of a communist official, so there was no way we should have been meeting with him anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, but he came to faith, um, you know, from a very dark background, so he would light fires in his dormitory because um, he knew that he'd get away with it. Um, he is involved in some pretty bad things. He came to faith and learned to share his faith, um, and uh, his code name was uh, Max, but we ended up kind of referring to him in the men's ministry, we refer to him as Paul, um, because everyone he talked to would hear the gospel and most of them would come to faith. So wow. um, like his, 12 of his family members came to faith within the first couple of months of him uh, coming to faith. And so in this picture, he's sharing the gospel with another unreached people group and they're a degree worse off. Um, so some of you may have heard of the Uyghurs and the kind of concentration camps and things um, in East Asia. And so this is him. He had just kind of broken through a hole in the fence at a university in a region that he's not kind of legally supposed to be in. He's definitely not supposed to be on the campus. He doesn't speak their language, and he's shared the gospel, and two of them have come to faith. Wow. Um, and this is one of the most unreached people groups in the world. So to be a part of that kind of story yeah. is just really encouraging. It's mind-blowing. Right? Yeah. 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 And, you know, you had a part in him, and he had a part in all those other people. So Yeah. So super amazing, and then COVID came along, and this sort of global pandemic changed things for you guys in East Asia, brought you back to New Zealand. You've been in uh, Dunedin, Otago University for two years? 
Yeah, I can't remember how long COVID's been going, but yeah, okay. something like that. A couple of years. Um, so now you're still working with university students, but yeah. I guess on kind of different levels. Yeah. So what does a typical day look like for you then? Yep. Um, yes, yeah, so we serve with the Otago mission team. Um, so a typical day for me is uh, I either meet with uh, young believers, uh, like in this photo, and we do kind of Bible studies and disciple them. Uh, so by discipleship, we kind of mean teach them to follow the Lord uh, in every area of life. Um, so a lot of the time that's deliberate, sitting down, what do the scriptures say? Uh, and then a lot of the other times it's actually uh, just journeying with them side by side through life. Um, so that would be one side of it, kind of the discipleship side. The other side is just evangelism. So I'd go out on campus and walk up to a complete stranger uh, and try and start a spiritual conversation with the hope of getting to the gospel with them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so I'd do that kind of every hour of the day. Um, and I think for me, having served in East Asia, some of the, the skill set that's a little bit different for me that I could bring to the Otago team was just uh, a lot of experience dealing with people who know nothing about God or have very skewed um, beliefs and things. So I personally end up running a lot of um, what we call explore uh, Bible studies. So uh, I think the biggest group we ever had was 15. Normally it's, you know, one, two or three. Um, and these are just students who are open uh, to faith, uh, to Christianity. They want to know about Jesus and they don't know a Christian. And so they've got these questions that they don't know how to answer. They, they might have a Bible and they might have read bits or they've, they've grown up in the church, but they've never really come to faith themselves. So, um, yeah, so, I spend a lot of time with them. So comparing your experiences of mm -hmm. kind of newness to Christianity in East Asia yeah. and Christian Christianity and that kind of connections and stuff in New yeah. Zealand, is there similarities? You talked about the yeah. blank page in East Asia. Yeah. Is there a bit more baggage in New Zealand or are you yeah. finding people surprisingly open? Yeah, it's changing very quickly. So uh, six, ten years ago on campus, generally every person you sat down with would have some sort of idea, some preconceptions about Christianity and who Jesus is. Um, now on campus, it, more often than not, people don't have a clue what you're talking about. Mm. Um, so the, the baggage is like, there's no depth to it. They're like, you know, they might have something they can say against Christianity, but they don't know why, and they don't know why it's different to what we actually believe. So, so again, quite an opportunity, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, New Zealand is coming very much like East Asia uh, in the student climate. Um, most people, you know, the language hasn't been removed from mm. our culture um, but the understanding of it definitely okay. has. So a couple of highlights from your time in Dunedin these mm -hmm. last couple of years? Yep. Um, yeah, I'll just share a quick story. So the guy in the middle in the blue T-shirt, uh, this young student called Callan, so he came to uni uh, to study physiotherapy. Um, when he first came to uni, uh, so he, he'd grown up in church, um, but he's not really walking with the Lord at all. Um, so we met him on campus, um, He's like, hey, I'm a Christian. I said, whenever someone says that at Otago, we have a couple of questions we ask them to kind of figure out what do you actually mean when you say you're a Christian? Because generally, they're not. Um, so we figured out, okay, this guy doesn't really know the Lord. Um, share the gospel with him, he comes to faith. Um, so this is about two years ago now. Um, and between kind of then and now, um, so he was not like walking a, a God-honoring life at all. Um, so he, he comes to faith and we teach him to share the gospel. Uh, so in this photo, uh, no, sorry, the one that's up there, um, all these guys are Callan's friends. 
Um, and some of them are students, there's a builder in there, there's, you know, there's football guys, um, not necessarily all from Otago. Um, and when this photo was taken, um, basically no one in that photo knew the Lord, now half of them do. Um, some of them have been baptized, some of them this summer on, on mission trips, um, sharing their faith. And so Callan is the example of, he just, he's a good example of what we hope uh, to achieve in ministry. So um, our strategy is to win, build, send. So win students to faith, build them up in the faith, and then send them out to do the same. So Callan was one to the Lord. Uh, he was then taught how to follow the Lord and to share his faith with others, and now we've sent him out. Um, so yeah, a bunch of those guys, even the guy in the red is actually from East Asia. Oh, um, so, you know, Andy. all these interesting kind of stories yeah, yeah, with cool, them. Cool. Next one, what about this yeah. one? Yeah. So, Callan there in the middle. So this is Callan being baptized. Um, so, uh, this was literally like a week ago. Um, so, the reason it's all black and nighttime is because it's 1am. Um, so, Callan right now is in Central Asia. Uh, one of the Stan countries on the other side of the world for six weeks, and he's sharing the gospel um, with students in a different country, different language, um, completely foreign to him. He's never done it that way. Um, and, you know, for a couple of months, he's just been wrestling with baptism, and um, so he was baptized as an infant. Um, he doesn't really know kind of where he stood on different things. So um, we had a kind of a prayer evening as we were sending his team off, and that finished at around 10 o'clock, and you can always tell when Callan's got something on his mind, as he walks up to me, he's like, can you baptize me? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> uh, where'd this come from? So we had a bit of a chat, um, talked with his parents and some of the church elders and things, um, uh, made the call to get baptized, um, it was about 10.30, then the car wouldn't start. Um, <laughs> Interestingly, um, so a couple of hours later, um, we managed to start it, and we found ourselves at Takapuna Beach at 1 a.m. Uh, Callan was baptized with some friends, and some of these people are actually just complete strangers. I still don't know who they are. Um, <laughs> but they and, were there for the 1 a.m. photo. Yeah, that's the main yeah. thing. And they uh, saw Callan get baptized. Yeah. So. And then, you know, within about 10 hours of this photo, Callan is on a plane to Central Asia to share the gospel, to go and make disciples and baptize others. So. Um, yeah, it's just been a real cool journey uh, with Callan over the last couple of years. And encouraging for you guys to be part of that too, again, yeah, like yeah. your East Asia time. So he's in Central Asia. You are also on the cusp of heading back overseas, and yep. God seems to be calling you to Central Asia. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So tell uh, us a wee bit about that. Yeah, so uh, we're leaving first week of January. Um, we're going to Central Asia. So Central Asia is all the... Stan countries except uh, Pakistan, and it's inside uh, this red box here, so we call it the 1040 window. So if you're not familiar with that term, the 1040 window is a, a missional term for the world's least reached, um, the, the least reached parts of the world. So there's about 3.3 billion people that live in that window who currently don't have access to the gospel. And the reasons being either they can't access because of persecution or they're isolated, Maybe there's no Bible in their language. There's probably no church uh, in their local community. And probably they do not know a believer themselves. So even if they want to know um, about Jesus, they don't have a way uh, to know him. Uh, so this is the least reached part of the world. And it kind of makes sense. You've got North Africa, the Middle East, and a large part of Asia. Um, so Central Asia is right in the center of that. And as a grouping of countries, it is the least reached part of the world. 
Um, so East Asia was kind of the front line, so everything uh, east of us in East Asia was considered statistically reached. Everything west of us was unreached. Central Asia is far, far west, so if you want to think of it uh, in kind of military terms, we were on the front line when we were in East Asia. If we go to Central Asia, we're like storming, yeah, yeah. storming their keep, I don't know. It's, wow. It's That's, deep. In, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, you guys are obviously excited about that. Yep. But yet apprehensive? Or yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have a lot of questions. So um, Central Asia, the part we're going to, has been closed for about 20 years. It's recently opened up. Um, what do you mean by closed? Closed, so foreigners couldn't go there. Um, unless you're maybe a diplomat okay. working in the embassy. Really closed. So yep. really closed. Um, it is one of the largest unreached people groups remaining. Um, it's an ex-Soviet state, um, and the dominant religion is Islam. Um, there, there is no student ministry in the country. Um, so there's a couple million university students, so we went from like one to maybe two million ratio up to like, you know, one to three or four million yeah. uh, ratio. So my wife and I uh, and an American lady will be the team um, in Central Asia. And then we're working alongside three uh, local missionaries. Uh, and that's it for a country of more than 30 million people. Um, and it's uh, what we call pioneering. So it's, it's a degree worse off than unreached. So the people here are uh, part of what's called a frontier people group. So that means that 0.02% um, of that population would identify as Christians. So out of 30 plus million people, there's about 5,000 known believers in the underground church. Wow, that is <laughs> crazy. But also a phenomenal opportunity. Yeah. And I guess you must be looking forward to, to that, knowing that in your past couple of missions experiences, God's been right in the thick of it. Yeah. And I guess I hear again for this next step, this next part of your journey, as as I guess the unknown, you know, pioneering new things. Yeah. God is still gonna be with you. So in terms of similarities between East Asia and Central Asia, you can draw on some of your experience, but is there just yeah. a whole bunch of new stuff that you're just really gonna to have to figure out as you go? Yes, there is definitely a lot of new stuff. Mm. Um, so a lot of things we're not going to discover until we land. Um, for example, we don't know where we're living. Um, we turn up and we'll find somewhere to live. We don't know what university we'll be uh, targeting. We'll turn up and we'll, we've got a list, short list of 10 that we think might be strategic, and we might just try and reach all 10. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of questions. Um, mm. Foreigners have not lived there for about 20 years. Um, when we're in East Asia, the the kind of regional vision was if we could reach what were, they called the Silk Road campuses. So the Silk Road travels all through the 1040 window. If you could reach the university campuses of the Silk Road, uh, then the next generation is reaching this 1040 window. Um, and so East Asia was the front line. And so our goal in the, the winning and the building and the sending was to raise local missionaries to send further west, further into Central Asia. Um, so we were, that was our mission. We were, our lives were invested in that. Um, it was starting to happen, COVID hit, and now East Asia is closed. Foreigners cannot get back in. The locals cannot get out. Um, so it's kind of interesting for us that uh, we have become what we set out 
mm. uh, to go and do. So yeah. we're supposed to raise laborers to go to Central Asia, and now we ourselves are kind of the first to go on, and hopefully others are going to come uh, behind us. So, yeah, um, there's a lot of continuity in terms of uh, security and persecution experience and yep. just working with unreached people groups. Uh, and a lot of the people groups in East Asia are uh, a Central Asian Turkic people group. So this picture? Yeah. This is, a kind of, I guess, indicative of kind of the types of people that you'd be working with? Yep, yep, um, yeah. Uh, you know, East Asia was unreached. Central Asia is a degree more uh, yep. unreached. So people there know who Jesus is because in Islam, Jesus is one of the significant prophets, um, but they don't know anything true about him. Um, the Bible was only recently translated into their language, so mm. most of them probably aren't even aware uh, that they could read um, the Bible in their own language. Um, so it's the kind of place where most people will live. They'll be, they'll be born, they'll live, and they'll die without ever hearing the gospel. Mm. Um, and so that's why we're going, because we believe that working with university students, um, we can raise laborers for the gospel who are better equipped uh, to reach their own people group. Um, you just need someone to start the process. And so, <coughs> excuse me, on that note, there was some people who kind of pioneered um, <coughs> even before you guys. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Um, <coughs> yeah, so this photo here is from 1998. So that was the last time uh, New Zealanders were in this part of Central Asia. Um, so uh, this is a photo of the, of the short-term team that went. Um, they were working with university students. Um, some of the students came to faith. Country shut down. All the foreigners were kicked out. Um, and those students who came to faith um, for the last kind of 20 years have been, um, they couldn't do student ministry because of the nature of the persecution, but they planted underground churches. So the, the family we're going to go and partner with um, are locals who came to faith as students, uh, were equipped to share their faith, were then suppressed by persecution and endured that persecution for 20 years and have planted churches all over the place. Um, so yeah. you're part of something bigger, right? A legacy yep. that's kind of yep. gone before. And obviously God's hand has been at work in your journey, but even for the last 20, 25 years, yep. already working behind the scenes to kind of prep the landing ground for you guys. Yeah. It must be hugely encouraging, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although a little bit, uh, you know, nervous, like, what has he got in store yeah. for us? We don't have a house, we don't know which campus, all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you kind of trust God in, that, in those sorts of moments? Yeah. Um, it's probably uh, one passage that comes to mind is the Great Commission, Matthew uh, 28. <clears throat> Can't quite read that. No, I can, yep. Um, so I'll just read it for you and then kind of explain why this encourages me. So Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to oversee all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, so what this passage is, is uh, a string of commands surrounded by two promises. So that first uh, promise is that uh, all authority, um, that's all of it, there's nothing that challenges God, all authority uh, has been given to Jesus. Um, so COVID didn't surprise God. Uh, persecution in East Asia didn't surprise God. Um, all those things 
occur and happen under God's authority. And it's not our job to understand why, um, just to know that he's in control. Um, and then that second promise at the end is that uh, he is with us to the end of the age. Um, that's pretty encouraging when you go somewhere like East Asia. Um, I wanna, when I was in the crisis role there, I was involved in the largest crisis, crisis event our mission agency has ever faced. So thousands of missionaries, tens of thousands of students. Um, <coughs> people's lives were on the line. We had at one point uh, making a list of how many children do we need to get out of the country in 24 hours if their parents disappear. Um, I was responsible for providing pastoral care to the guy who was kind of representing all of us. He would go into uh, an interrogation with kind of the kind of Gestapo, KGB, government police kind of guys uh, each day. And I'd spend an hour on the phone with him trying to, as a, you know, I was, I don't know how old I was then, 28, 28 year old. How do you encourage like a 50 year old who's served in that kind of environment who has literally just said goodbye to his family again and again and again? because he doesn't know if he's coming out of that cell. Um, so knowing that, that Jesus is with me, uh, with us wherever we go on mission, is it's very freeing. Um, it helps keep everything in perspective. Um, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, whether it's good or bad, uh, God is with us, and it, you know he's God with us in all power. Um, so, yeah, nothing challenges him. This, this great commission will be completed. The nations will be discipled. Awesome. You've got another verse which is quite crucial too. Yep. <coughs> On that note. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so this is Paul writing in Romans. Uh, again, I'll just read it to you guys. So, uh, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, least I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with Paul's uh, faith journey from you know, persecutor to arguably the greatest missionary ever. Um, he came to faith in pretty miraculous circumstances, the Damascus Road experience. Uh, and in this passage, Paul is writing about kind of what drives him, uh, what his, his holy ambition. Um, I just personally found it, when I first kind of studied this, found it very interesting that of all the things Paul could have pointed to, uh, including, you know, he could, have, he could have said, hey, I had this crazy conversion story, like I was blinded, like miracles happen, um, God spoke to me, told me what I was going to do with my life. He could have said, that's why I go and do mission, um, but he doesn't. Instead, he points to the scriptures, uh, so where it says, as it is written, uh, he quotes Isaiah. So, Whatever happened in Paul's life, at some point, he went to the scriptures to back up his experience. Um, so for us, like, um, you know, we don't have Damascus Road experiences all the time. Um, in East Asia, definitely didn't. Um, and so you couldn't, like, point to your experience as the reason, your feelings as the reason why uh, you should do mission, especially in that context. Um, but you could look to the scriptures and you could read uh, and you could understand that God has a plan. Uh, and that plan is throughout scripture, um, and that's that people will know him and glorify him. Um, so 
here's Paul writing about, um, uh, he's recording for us a promise that's already recorded that uh, those who've never been told of him are going to see and those who've never heard will understand. So, yeah, like, that's just a great encouragement. To yeah, us. It, I was just thinking it must be hugely encouraging for you to know that in that 1040 window yeah. where there's 3 billion people who haven't really got access to even knowing yeah. the real Jesus, that Paul and countless others who have gone before know that that's going to happen. Yeah. And you're playing a part in that, a significant part in that. Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> whilst there's huge challenges ahead, uh, and difficulties and, and all those sorts of things. You must also be encouraged, I'm, I'm guessing you and Aisha and the kids, to, to be playing a, a part in God's grand plan, his big story of renewal and redemption. I mean, what, what encourages you the most in this? Yeah, it's such a massive question. Um, I don't really know in, so, in some respects. Like, I do know, I just can't communicate it. <laughs> um, so... I mean, take the Great Commission, we get to, because we go out and make disciples, we experience God with us uh, in power always. Um, that's our advantage as missionaries. Um, and because of that, we experience what God wants for us, um, to know Him and to make Him known. So we are become more like Christ through our mission. Um, and that's just an honor and a privilege that um, can't really explain. Hmm. And the things you experience and, you know, you sit somewhere like East Asia and you read the Bible and you look out the window and it's happening in front of you. Hmm. People are throwing their lives to idols, uh, like literally like burning their real money because they think it's going to get them into heaven. Um, we, you know, the things we were seeing uh, was just confirmed by the scriptures and then things we were experiencing with people coming to faith. Um, it's just very alive. Yes. Um, you're seeing miracles happen every day. Yeah. 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 And you're more aware of that too. And, like, yeah. and that's kind of stirring and encouraging as well. Yeah. So what's one thing that you want all of us here to know about missions? Yeah. <laughs> Again, there's, you know, there's so much I want to tell you guys about missions. Um, I'd love for everyone to come and experience what we've experienced because it's just so hard to articulate uh, what we have experienced. But... Um, I think thinking about what is, what is the point of mission to begin with is a great thing to always come back to. Uh, and I think um, missions exist because God isn't worshipped in places like East Asia and Central Asia. Mm. Um, so we are created to glorify God. Uh, currently, there are thousands of people groups, there's thousands of towns, villages, cities um, where there are no praises uh, rising to God. Um, and so that is out of order with his plan for us, for the universe. Um, so mission exists um, to bring glory to God. Um, at our level, uh, it's the best thing for us. Um, it's, mission is it's for our own good, and it's for the joy of uh, all people everywhere. And we've all got a part to play, right? Yeah. So you guys are on the cusp of heading overseas. I think first week of January you're getting yep. on the plane. Uh, in the coming weeks and obviously subsequently, how can we pray for you? Yep. Um, we have lots of kind of logistical details to figure out. Uh, probably the biggest one at the moment is visas. So our visa paperwork is submitted. We don't actually yet have visas. 
Uh, so it'd be great if those came mm -hmm. through before we got on the plane. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, we have to fall to like a plan B uh, option and camp out and move around a bit in right. Central Asia. But yeah, so you won't be staying at the airport, but you'll be no, no. <laughs> yeah, we just have to move across borders every now and then. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of partnering with your your mission, how can we do that? Yeah. Um, you can partner with us in prayer. Um, so we send out a, a newsletter, and we really value prayer. Um, you cannot do mission like this on the other side of the world with no support team. Um, so there are hundreds of people around the world um, that pray for us. Um, yeah, so if you'd like to uh, join our prayer team, please come and talk to us afterwards, and we can kind of give you details for that. Um, it also costs financially um, to put a family in a place like Central Asia. Um, so we are full-time uh, gospel laborers. Um, so, yeah, we have financial needs, and if you want to know about that, please, uh, again, come and talk to us. Yeah. Rob, it has been so awesome to have just a snapshot of what you've been up to the last few years and, and are on the edge of, and I guess, yeah, it's just mind-blowing, right? Like, different, so different to here. So thanks for that. I'm going to invite Laurie, who's going to um, come and pray for you on behalf of our missions team and our church, and just really want you, know, you guys to go well um, in this next step of the journey. So yeah, Laurie, you. come on up. Sure. Whoa, do you want a question? Yeah, go. For okay. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, New Zealand's not that great at diplomatic support, um, so often we rely on what America could give us, and that often depends on who's in power, so yes and no. Um, just to give you a real quick example, uh, during the, one of the crisis events that I was involved in, um, we had a family arrested without trial and imprisoned. Um, and so we had kind of reached the end of our resources, but then connections in the mission world uh, managed to get the White House on the phone, and so they came to bat and they won and got those missionaries out of that jail within a matter of hours. So um, sometimes yes, but most of the time no. Cool, good question. Laurie. And Aisha, awesome. Laurie made you do it. <laughs> He's pretty scary. All right, here you go, Laurie. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we just do thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your amazing love. You never forget us, and you are always there with us. Lord, we just pray as a congregation that you would surround Rob and Aisha and Isabella and Elliot with your protection and your blessing and we pray Lord that you will use them mightily there in that 1040 window we pray especially for your protection around them in a world that is in this part of the world is hostile to the gospel but we know Lord it's as you have called them that you will be with them and you will watch over them so we do thank you, Lord, for them, and we pray that they will go with your blessing upon them and all these little bits and pieces that they need to finalise regarding visas and any administrative problems. 
Lord, you will be there to guide them through these and to help them to get everything in order. We pray for good health and blessing over them now and right through their time overseas. Lord, we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much, Robert and Aisha. Really appreciate that. Thank you. You know, as I've talked with Robert, you kind of think, man, East Asia, Central Asia, it's just so, so different to New Zealand, right? Different culture, different language, different government, all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. But I wonder, if, I wonder if actually, you know, those places in the world are actually not too dissimilar to us in New Zealand. Because wherever you go in the world, there are people who are hurting, people who are broken, people who are desperately seeking God's grace and his truth. And I think Robert's shared uh, the opportunities that him and Isha have been able to be involved with overseas. But those opportunities are still available here for us in New Zealand as well. And so I just want to encourage you that maybe Central Asia is not so different to New Zealand. Maybe actually in our part of the world there are people in our schools, people in our workplaces, people down our streets who are desperate to hear that life-giving truth, that love, that grace that Jesus offers. So this week, wherever you end up, whether you end up in Central Asia, I don't know if you've got a holiday planned, uh, or whether you're going to be kicking around here, I really encourage you to do this, so that your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Sound good? Awesome. Hey, well, thanks heaps for joining us this morning. We um, would love you to stick around for some refreshments, some tea, coffee, etc., got a prayer team over here in the corner if you'd like to dig a bit deeper on some things or if you've just got um, yeah, some stuff happening that you want support with. Feel free to chat with Robert and Aisha, they'll be here for a wee while and meet someone new. Have a great week and God bless you heaps. Awesome, thanks.